Welcome to the Electric Wire podcast. We bring you news and views on the most pressing issues facing Wisconsin's electric industry from policymakers, executives, and customer and environmental advocates. Bringing you these discussions, we are the Customers First Coalition. Here's your host, Executive Director Kristen Jilks. Welcome to the Electric Wire. I'm Kristen Jilks, and we have a very special episode for you today. As the Municipal Electric Utilities of Wisconsin, or MEUW, celebrated its 95th birthday on October 18th, 2023, the organization brought municipal utility leaders from across the state to the state capitol to share the benefits of public power in their communities. The day at the Capitol culminated with a parade around the Capitol Square with 81 utility bucket trucks showing their public power pride. This episode features several short interviews conducted on site during MEUW's day at the Capitol. We include a quick look at some of the utilities represented in the public power bucket truck parade. And we'll conclude this episode with a sit down interview with Richard Heineman a longtime energy attorney at Boardman Clark representing municipal utilities. To kick us off, though, I sat down with Tim Heinrich to give us an overview of this day of celebration. All right, I am here with Tim Heinrich, who is the president and CEO of the Municipal Electric Utilities of Wisconsin. Tim, we are here at the Capitol for your big day, the 95th anniversary celebration. Can you give us a little bit more background about your role at MEUW and tell us what is MEUW and what you guys do. Sure, so uh, thanks for being here. I have the opportunity to lead our trade association that represents the 81 municipal electric utilities uh, across the state of Wisconsin. Uh, I've been in the role for about five and a half years now and um, just have really enjoyed the opportunity to tell the public power story. And that's what we're doing here today is to really make sure that we're making sure that everybody knows what public power is. And it just so happens that today is the 95th anniversary of MEUW's founding. So we're going back to our roots. Uh, we were founded as an advocacy organization and um, on these very grounds uh, in 1928. And so it's only fitting that we're back here today to, to make sure that all the legislators uh, know what's going on and, and uh, know all about public power. So. Perfect, that makes sense. Um, so you're bringing in not only municipal leaders, but also they're bringing their bucket trucks from Correct. utilities around the state. What was the inspiration for that? So I think it was just really an idea about trying to draw some attention to ourselves, basically. Um, you know, it, I feel like everybody does a lobby day, right? So how do we make the lobby day something bigger? And so, um, you know, later today, we're going to have the opportunity to have uh, 81 bucket trucks um, surrounding the Capitol and uh, and I've been telling folks that you know we are using this event to toot our own horn because no one else is going to do it for us and so we're literally going to toot our horns <laughs> driving so around perfect. the Capitol today so uh, I love it. so it's very exciting and the weather's cooperated and we've got a nice turnout from our municipal leaders and um, should be should be a great day okay so you've mentioned you're doing legislative visits and a parade, a public power parade. What else is going on today? So we did a couple of fun things this morning just to kind of draw attention to our parade this afternoon. And one of those was that we put out a patriotic display. So we had a 15 foot American flag suspended between two bucket trucks. And uh, it was a great photo op. Um, unfortunately, the Capitol Police would only let us have it up for about an hour and a half. So um, it was short lived, but it did get some attention. We heard from a lot of folks inside the Capitol wondering what was going on. So, so that worked as intended. And the other part that we're doing is uh, we're offering uh, our legislators an opportunity to take a take a lift in a bucket. So um, we have uh, our friends in Cuba City have uh, sent up their bucket truck for the day. And so they're offering bucket lifts. Um, in fact, our uh, one of our folks has mentioned that, uh, you know, we're kind of allowing legislators to cross that off their bucket list. So uh, nice. literally um, as you're talking with legislators today, what are some of the key messages you wanted to share about public power? So the good news is that we're not really here because we have any specific ask. We're here just to educate lawmakers about public power. And so that's we're celebrating public power. And so our messaging really is about the advantages of public power being locally controlled, uh, being not for profit and our exceptional record of reliability. Um, and so those are the messages that we're carrying and, and just really trying to distinguish public power from the other utility types in the state and make sure that our legislators understand that. Perfect. Thank you. All right. So, Tim, our final question for all of our guests is what would you do if you had all the power today? Which 
you argue. So yeah, arguably today <laughs> is kind of a day that we have we, we have a lot of power, and I, I think um, you know I, I'm just so grateful for the folks that have come out. Uh, you know, we we've got a, a lot of our our members who have made a commitment to be here with us today to celebrate public power, and you know I, I just really think that you know what we set out to do was to raise awareness, and I think that things have gone as smoothly as we could have hoped. The weather's cooperated. Everything's been great. Um, we were able to meet with more than 80% of the legislature uh, in one-on-one -on -one meetings and drop off materials. And, you know, it's just been a, a very productive use of everyone's time to help spread the word about public power. Perfect. Well, thank you. And congratulations thank on you. a great day. Perfect. Thanks. Thanks. Next at the Capitol, I chatted briefly with Jill Weiss, representing Stoughton Utilities just south of Madison. Jill also appeared on an episode of The Electric Wire last year where we shared more background about how municipal utilities operate. To find that episode, look for episode 29 of The Electric Wire from November of 2022 titled Rooted in Community, Municipal Electric Utilities of Wisconsin. Jill, welcome back to The Electric Wire. Uh, let's get a little refresher. Can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and the utility you represent? Thank you. Um, Jill Weiss, I'm the utility manager or utilities director at Stoughton Utilities. Um, I've actually been there since March of 2019. Um, however, I've been in the electric industry for probably 20 years or so now. We um, represent Stoughton Utilities. We're actually a utility that oversees electric, so we've got public power there, water, and wastewater as well. So how long has Stoughton Utilities been providing these services to the community? Oh, we've been since like 1886. We've actually been um, a public power utility since since that long, so a very long time. We have about 20 to 25 employees, depending on the timing, depending on workload, a lot of variety there a little bit, but we always try to be very efficient in everything we do. So we staff, and we keep our staff, of course, but we staff to a level in which our needs are. I think we actually officially have 24 authorized employees. Um, we have basically eight linemen. Um, we have uh, water operators, wastewater operators. We have a support staff and our technical operations, which are basically oversee a lot of our technology. Uh, what we kind of come down to is our people are the most important. And then we also have processes and technology to be as efficient as we possibly can be in everything we do. We have a number of people that oversee the technology piece of it. Um, that pretty much explains our utility. Perfect. So what made you want to be at the Capitol here today, helping to share the story of public power? It's critical to, in my opinion, my heart is in public power. Um, we are not for profit, um, so there's no shareholders or anything else that we need to, to um, help and you know support. We support our community, we support our customers, and I wanted to be here to be able to, to share that information. We actually have one bucket truck um, going to be in the parade today. And we're just very honored actually to be a part of this. And, and recently, as we were going through the history after 95 years, that Stoughton actually was one of the founding members of MEW. So we're very proud to be a part of this amazing event. Jill, if you had all the power in the industry, what would you do with it today? I think I would actually be able to help educate and share what it is that the utility does. Um, and so that our customers and, and everyone can kind of see the value. And, even promote the idea of it, well, whether I could actually control the type of utilities and they, but to be able to have them understand and actually move to some place like Stoughton because they could be served by us. The rates would be lower, the reliability would be better. Um, I'd like to share that out to everybody and, and educate kind of on that. Perfect. Well, Jill, thank you so much for being here today. Uh, thank you. Now join as we watch the public power on parade circling the Capitol Square featuring bucket trucks representing 81 public power utilities from across the state. All right, I am here with Tyler Vorpagel, who is going to be announcing the trucks as they come by for public power on parade. Hartford Electric Utilities is here. Clintonville Utilities coming all the way from Florence. Whitehall Electric Utility. Municipal Electric Utilities of Wisconsin, City of Elkhorn, and Broadhead Water and Light. Two Rivers or Trivers? Partyville. New Glarus Utilities, New London Utilities, Gresham Utilities, Evansville. With a bang. Wapan Utilities. 
home of the best mayor in the state, Juno. Columbus Utilities, WPPI Energy, Cumberland Utilities, from the Northwoods, Kakana Utilities. Now we see them flashing their amber lights. Soon, if legislation moving through the legislature comes to fruition, they will be able to flash green lights when they are working in utility rights of way. If you've seen how well it's worked out for other county-owned uh, vehicles and just another way of keeping our uh, line workers safe and more visible when they're out restoring power. Arcadia Electric Utility. Manitowoc Public Utilities. And Sun Prairie Utilities. New Monty Richmond. And New Richmond, both represented. Sauk City Utilities. And Prairie du Sac, Marshfield Utilities. That's a cool one. Wisconsin, oh, Wisconsin Rapids. Rapids. Trumpelo Municipal Utilities and Rice Lake Utilities is coming next. Shawano Municipal Utilities and Cedarburg. Muscaday. And Stoughton. Stoughton. Wanakee Utilities in their bolt. All electric. Sturgeon Bay Utilities. Oconomowoc. Wisconsin Dells. New Holstein Utilities. Keel Utilities. And Mount Horeb. Menasha, Westby, Fenimore, Boscobel, Eagle River, Plymouth Utilities. Fitting to end with Plymouth Utilities, Tyler's hometown. You also heard big cheers in there for my hometown municipal utility, Wisconsin Rapids. Now, from Cuba City, we are checking in with George Morrissey, who shares more about some of the safety training that was part of the day for utility workers. I am here with George Morrissey, who is the past chair of the Municipal Electric Utilities of Wisconsin Board. George, thanks for joining the Electric My Wire. Pleasure. How did you feel seeing all these bucket trucks around the square? Well, if you zoom in, you see goosebumps. Nice. Uh, it's all about public power is what it's about. Yes, it was cool to see all the different communities right. from across the state represented. So yep. tell us, George, were you at the Capitol earlier today, too? Yep. And what message were you sharing with lawmakers? The visibility and the understanding of what MEW does for the communities that we live in and serve and for overall public power. It's a big deal. So what community are you from? Uh, Cuba City. And so how far did you have to come today? Uh, hour and a half for myself. And have you been up in the bucket truck? <laughs> I'm actually a lineman by trade myself. Perfect. There was a big safety demonstration in Wanakee today. So what are some of the safety messages that were shared today as well? Electricity in and of itself is very useful, but very dangerous. You got to understand how it operates and works. And uh, that's part of MUW's job is training of all the municipal linemen in the state. Every one of us want to go home at night and we all do. So it's key. Safety, safety first or you shut down, period. All right, it sounds like you're being called over for a photo, but George, while I have you, is there anything you would do if you had all the power in the industry for today? There's a pun on the power, correct? Oh, Public yeah. power and yes. power. Uh, awareness, so everybody's aware of the utilities and what they do is the biggest thing. That needs to be heard and understood as to what we do, and everybody takes it for granted the lights are on until they're not. And then the response time is very minimal, and we're back up and running. Perfect. We get that a lot. Um, that is a common wish is to make sure that people understand really the value right. of electricity. So yes. thank you, George. It was great talking to you. Thank you very much. And my signing off is mahalo. Mahalo. Thank you very much. Have a great rest of your day. You too.
It certainly was an action-packed day at the Capitol, and thanks to MEUW for allowing our Electric Wire listeners to share in the celebration. Now, to round out this episode, I'm proud to share an interview with longtime municipal electric utility attorney Richard Heinemann. Richard discusses more about the formation of many municipal electric utilities over a century ago and shares some of the legal and regulatory considerations unique to municipal utilities. Thanks to Richard for joining the Electric Wire, and thanks to all of you for listening. Welcome to the Electric Wire to Richard Heinemann. Richard is an attorney at Boardman Clark LLP in Madison, Wisconsin. Richard, thanks for joining. A pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you. So tell us about what you do at Boardman Clark in your role as an attorney there. Well, I... uh... I do most of my work really uh, exclusively on behalf of uh, municipal utilities and joint action agencies. So right now I am um, in the in the municipal group here at our firm. Um, but when people ask me, what do I do? I usually say, well, I'm really an energy lawyer. And then right. oftentimes they'll say, well, what's that? And then I have to go a little bit deeper. But but basically what I do is advise uh, municipal utilities and then groups of municipal utilities that come together to form larger companies, municipal electric companies, on a, on a wide range of things, regulatory matters, things they might have before the Public Service Commission, or sometimes Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, or advise them on power supply agreements, or uh, asset transfers, um, sometimes governance issues come up, a whole wide range of things. So much like many of our listeners, you think about energy and utility issues almost all of the time. Actually, I do. Yes, I do think about it all the time. (laughs) I love it. So how long have you been working in this space, in the energy space? Well, uh, I started in 1998. Um, I came, um, I just graduated from law school, uh, came into being a lawyer uh, a little bit later in life. I had been a, an academic previously and, and had taught for a while, but for various reasons, I uh, had to make a career switch and um, really enjoyed law school, enjoyed uh, Boardman Clark, uh, at the time Boardman Sir Curry and Field, uh, where I had clerked for a summer, um, but I had no idea that I was going to be doing energy law at all. <laughs> and then and um, I remember on the first day I arrived um, at the firm here when I started as a full-time associate, um, Mike May was um, was a partner at the time, and uh, he called me into his office and he said, okay, um, I'm going to need you to help me um, with his Section 206 proceeding. We've got a whole bunch of municipal utilities that are challenging um a, a contract um, that um, that they have with uh, with their wholesale provider of Wisconsin Power and Light at the time. Uh, I'm just going to need you to kind of we're in the discovery process. You're going to have to rein them in now and 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 conduct all these depositions. And I had no idea what he was talking about. It was like literally the first day that I had arrived at the firm. I didn't know what a Section 206 was. I I still don't know. Yeah, well, we don't know, don't need to go into that, but and I didn't I kind of to be honest barely even knew what a municipal utility was. Like, okay, well what is a municipal utility? I, I didn't really know. He gave me a book to to read on the history of public power and I started to kind of get get the hang of it um over time, but at at that moment I was like, okay, that's fine. I'll just go with it, but I had no idea what he was talking about. So, as we think about the communities 125 years ago that were starting to set their service territory and provide power to their community. How were these lines drawn? How were the boundaries set between a municipal utility and an investor-owned utility um, that's providing power nearby? Tell us about the time when service territories started to become a little bit more set. I don't want to say set in stone because I know there's still... (laughs) boundary issues that happen to this day. It, that's a that's a complicated history in terms of 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 how the laws around you know fixing territorial boundaries got set. I mean, and to answer your your question, you know, they're not set in stone, right? There are um there are laws that are in, in place that um um that are designed to um to preserve 
um, territory and avoid the duplication of service so that you don't have utilities competing for the same customers. But what um, but how you determine where those lines are set can can vary, especially when you have communities that expand, right? I mean, municipal municipal um, territories expand, they annex territory, new developments occur. And sometimes they incur in areas that are kind of in between, you know, the the, uh, the 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 existing geographical boundary of let's say a small town or village and and the remote outreaches of a larger um, cooperative, electric cooperative or investor owned utility. And so how do you figure that out? Um, that's an issue that comes up um, all the time and there's a lot of case law on that and there's a whole way that you approach it and that's something that our firm you know assists with from time to time um, but back back in the day there you know there was basically a um, you know when these these uh, boundaries were established first uh, you know there was there was a compact um, and an understanding um, essentially that um, it, within a, a certain community um, the the citizens of that community were going to be served by the the you know the, the local governing um, body and uh, at a certain point the Wisconsin legislature um, created a a statute a whole chapter of statutes in order to sort of lock that in. Um, and in exchange for um, giving um, these local communities uh, the ability to, to serve, they basically said, okay, you're going to also be subject to regulation. And so we're going to create a public service commission. It was called something different back then. Um, and then you had that regulatory compact where they had a certain monopoly territory uh, that that was more or less uh, equal to or equivalent to uh, you know their population center, and again we're talking about small communities. We're talking you, know, you said suburbs. We're really talking about towns and villages for the most part, or small cities. Um, but basically, we're going to kind of see what that looks like, and we're going to lock that in, and we're going to give you the right to continue to serve those those customers. But in exchange, you're going to subject yourself to to regulation. Um, so that we can try to keep costs low or, you know, we have somebody kind of looking out for, for the customers. And that regulatory compact was imposed, you know, in the early 1900s and has basically mm -hmm. worked pretty well ever since. Does, yes. that, does that sort of help? It, it does. It does answer my question. So, okay, one note. I said the suburbs thing, but I'm from Wisconsin Rapids, which is oh, a municipally served community it's a public right. power community right. um i know marshfield is a public power community as well there's so many um as you look in the map and and no they're not all suburbs sticking with that theme of sort of regulation i know because um if someone is granted a monopoly uh it's it's much different being a regulated monopoly uh, because regulation stands in the place of competition when there's not a natural free market. And so regulation is an important part of it. And and many of our listeners know that's sort of what Customers First Coalition is all about, mm -hmm. is helping people understand the benefits of regulating um, electric utilities. Um, and those benefits directly go to customers. So we support that regulatory model. And as you mentioned, it's been in place since the early 1900s. It's been working pretty well since then. As you think about utility regulation, what are some of the unique regulatory issues for municipal utilities? Let's just start by saying that the very fact that uh, that Wisconsin municipal utilities are regulated is in itself kind of a big deal because... Um, I represent a lot of other municipal utilities in other states, Illinois, mm -hmm. Minnesota, for example, and they're not regulated by by the state. There's no, I mean, they, they all have all those states have public utility commissions or public service commissions, but municipal utilities are generally not regulated by them, right? They are regulated by their local governments, by their city councils uh, yep. or their utility commissions, and it does, you know, it's. It's something that I've thought a lot about um, because oftentimes, um, you know, municipal utilities here in Wisconsin can be frustrated by the fact that they they have to answer to regulators, right? Um, one of the issues that that we're dealing with right now, for example, is 
municipal utilities have to go in for rate cases. So it's just like big investor owned utilities, but sometimes, um, you know, it seems like they don't get, you know, kind of first dibs uh, and um, they kind of have to wait a long time to, to get a response and to get a rate case kind of um, seen through from beginning to the end. Uh, because obviously when you have major utilities like um, like um, Wisconsin Energy Corporation, WEPCO, or, or WPNL, or even MG&E, that can take up a lot of bandwidth of, of Public Service Commission's time. So one of the things we're trying to do is find a way to kind of expedite that um, and, and use the model that uh, has worked well uh, for municipal water utilities uh, to try to kind of minimize the, the amount of time and, and keep things as simple as possible. Um, so there's a lot of frustration, right? At the same time, um, you know, sometimes the difficult choice of, of having to increase your rates in order to ensure that you continue to make the necessary investments in your system can be difficult politically. Um, and so, um, you know, I, I think there's some benefit uh, to to basically being able to um, rely on a regulator to to try to balance interests um, and then um, help come up with a rate design that makes sense. Um, you know, some of my clients that don't have that, you know, they they have issues, right? I mean, there there are political battles um, that that they have to deal with. Um, so that's that's one issue um, that uh, that municipal utilities are are dealing with. I think another thing that that comes to mind that's also really topical right now um, uh, that's different in Wisconsin and impacts municipal utilities in different ways in Wisconsin than in in other states has to do with transmission, right? Um, when I became a lawyer in the late '90s, early 2000s, it was really a time um, where it was we call it restructuring, right? There was a time of tremendous change in the industry where uh, the top-down, vertically integrated um, investor-owned utilities that own generation and distribution and transmission, um, both at the federal level, level um, and then statewide, were really being pushed to, uh, uh, to uh, uh, differentiate, right? Uh, to restructure themselves. And in Wisconsin, that led to the creation of the American Transmission Company, a trans, Transco it was a Transco legislation in the, in the like 1999 2000 that time frame, and all the utilities, including municipal utilities that own transmission, um, had to divest. Um, and then you had this um, um, for-profit public utility, American Transmission Company, whose sole purpose was to essentially provide one-stop shopping for all kinds of transmission-related issues. And at the time, municipal utilities, um, you know, had difficult, uh, had difficulties, challenges with, with rate pancaking, with, with, uh, um, with access, with, uh, with, with getting the intention of, uh, of the big transmission-owning utility to, to build a substation or to interconnect properly um, and didn't really have access to um, you know, to, to other opportunities. Um, and with American Transmission Company, that changed. You had a company that was really focused on transmission. And there was a lot of concern at the time. How's this going to work? Is it really going to be successful? Are they really going to have our interests in mind? Um, and fast forward to now, and I, I think I think the ATC model has, has proven to be pretty successful. And uh, in contrast to some of my municipal utility clients in, in other states where they're still dealing with, you know, pancaking issues. Um, you know, here I think um, most municipal utilities feel like they've been well served by uh, by ATC. We have a robust transmission system in, in Wisconsin. Um, if you need a substation built, there's a, you know, you know how to get it done, right? You, you, you or an inter interconnection agreement, um, you know who to talk to and, and, and our municipal utilities have generally, I think, enjoyed a pretty good relationship with ATC. And, and certainly the, there's two other transmission companies in Wisconsin, too, Excel and uh, or Northern States Power, Wisconsin and, and Daryland. And, and, and they have, you know, different relationships and they can get things done with, with those folks, too. But generally, ATC is the predominant uh, transmission company in Wisconsin. And I think that that model has proven to be pretty successful. And so transmission is... You know, not as much contested terrain now um, 
at least from the from the municipal utility standpoint as it was then. So question. Can you please explain pancaking a little bit and um, why that was a problem? The transmission owning utilities, you know, they also have service territories. And at the time, they had the ability to impose transmission rates to get power from point A to point B that if that power had to, to cross several different zones, then they had the ability to sort of pile on charges. Uh, and so you wound up paying, you know, two or three times, um, you know, for the same energy that you were needing to get transmitted from from the power source. And I think for municipal utilities that are smaller, that, that was almost like a bigger problem because they didn't all have the ability to self-generate enough power. And so they were utilizing the transmission infrastructure. Yeah, that's, that's a really good point is that is is that you know municipal utility municipal utilities rarely own their own generation. There there are a number of smaller municipal utilities that do have small generation and then a couple of the larger ones like Marshfield you mentioned has it has a has a pretty big generating unit. Uh, Manitowoc has has some generation but generally speaking the municipals don't have their own and even when they do right they don't they they're not like off the grid, um, you know, just using their own generating resources. They they need to rely on the grid in order to to have um, power supplied uh, coming into their distribution system. So yes, they were very much at the mercy of of these of these larger larger integrated um, utilities, you know. And keep in mind that as we're talking about ATC and all that, we're, that was also the time that you had the regional transmission organizations formed, right? MISO, everyone talks about MISO now. And obviously, um, you know, that's, it's just such a completely different paradigm um, to have transmission basically done through, through a market now. Um, but what that's done is it's really kind of opened things up. It has allowed more access to municipal utilities to bring in power from other sources to um, whether it's a you know a power purchase agreement they have or or maybe um, maybe they can buy in an ownership share in a big uh, generation plant um, but they no longer have to to fear that that the constraints in transmission are going to make that uneconomic. We talked a little bit about how municipal utilities are regulated in Wisconsin. Can you just talk a little bit more about what the local regulation looks like. I know many municipal utilities will have like a utility commission. And so the municipal utilities in Wisconsin really face almost like two levels of regulation. Um, so I'm just curious what that local level of regulation will sometimes look like. Yeah, it it varies. Uh, you know, you have utility commissions, but, but um but not all municipal utilities are regulated by commissions. Um, sometimes they're just regulated out of the, you know, the city office by the city administrator. And so maybe there'll be a utility committee, but but uh, there'll be a, you know, a more, or, you know, maybe the, the village board, you know, would have, you know, a, a more direct um, ability uh, to actually run run the utility. So it varies, right? So, the, so there's, there's really, I mean, there's there's some variations of those basic models, but um, the the main takeaway is, is that uh, not all municipal utilities are run by utility commissions, um, and you know I I think that um, I think there are really good arguments for why the utility commission model um, works better in in many instances, but but generally speaking, we're pretty agnostic about that because because utilities can be municipal utilities can, can be well run um you know without a commission too right um what what you want is i mean the one thing you want is is um for the the governing body whoever that might be the village board or uh you know the the utility superintendent the city whoever actually is responsible and then the, the body that they're working with to make decisions, you want them to be informed, right? You don't want it to be, that. that's typically why we, we might come down on the side of utility commissions because, because oftentimes the utility commissioners are sort of empowered, at, um, you know, with, uh, you know, just 
uh, the ability to, to to make business decisions in a really complicated industry over a, a period of time and, and develop the understanding and the experience that they need to make those sorts of decisions as opposed to just being more at the at the whim of you know of politics or something like that. Um, but the main thing is regardless of the of the the model the governance model that you're using is is to make sure that your governing body, the folks are you know understand just the complexities of the industry and are 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 willing to to be educated um, and and you know uh, learn about all these um, new technologies that that uh, that everyone's talking about and that are that are affecting everyone's everyday lives um, and that's why organ you know that's why CFC um, and municipal electric utilities of Wisconsin of course and others. Uh, WPPI, obviously, on behalf of its members, they perform a real sort of educational function, right? To uh, to make sure that um, that that kind of information um, is out there, so that that the governing bodies can make those decisions in an informed way. Yes, can you? You know, you mentioned WPPI, and and you mentioned joint action agencies right when we first started, and I'm wondering if you could. Tell us more about what is a joint action agency and how does that relate to the individual municipal utilities? Yeah, that's that's an important question. I, and, um, you know, one thing I really do believe in a lot is joint action, right? The, the, the benefits of joint action. So, okay, well, what does that mean? What is joint action? Um, you know, and so we, we've, we've talked about how municipal utilities came up you know, in these small towns and villages, and they're, they're typically not like large. Right? I think Manitowoc's the largest um, by, by, by population base, and the city of Manitowoc has what, maybe 20, 25,000 people. Um, so that is one thing they have in common is they're generally speaking small, right? And a lot of, a lot of my clients, like the village of Viola, have like seven or 800 people. Um, and so when you're really small, although that gives you, uh, you know, the, the benefit of being like directly, literally wired into your community and your customers or your neighbors, and you're really responsive, um, you know, to their needs, um, all the things that make public power great. It also has the downside of meaning that that you're often just kind of too small to like, you know, have anybody pay attention to you, right? So. Uh, or to get the you know the, the the bigger opportunities or 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 the benefits of of um, you know economies of scale, and so joint action is a way of counteracting that. And when we talk about joint action in in Wisconsin, we're talking specifically about a, a statute that um, that um, came about to allow um, municipalities to form what we call municipal electric companies. MECs, right? WPPI Energy is is a municipal electric company, and so there's a whole statute that um, that kind of lays out what uh, electric companies can do. Um, one thing they can issue bonds, for example. Um, they can um, come together and and form projects, meaning building a generation plant. Um, um, or uh, entering into um, uh, some sort of a transmission agreement um, or to provide any kind of range of, of services on behalf of their uh, of their members. Um, and, you know, the, the statute um, lays out exactly how you form, right? Um, what kind of actions your individual municipal government needs to take. Uh, and then where you need to file that, uh, and then um, you know what sort of legal rights that gives you what the scope of your authority might be. Um, and those, I think, those models uh, have been super successful uh, in in Wisconsin. Obviously, WPPI Energy is by far the largest, and and um, you know it, it, you know is essentially a, um, a a public utility that uh, you know can make decisions and and influence. Um, actions um like the investor rounds can um my my clients uh, great lakes utilities that's another one uh, they they're fewer members but but their members tend to be some of the larger utilities like manitowoc or marshfield or wisconsin rapids that you mentioned before um and actually the first the oldest one of the oldest was um 
the uh, used to call the Western Wisconsin Municipal Power Group. Uh, now it's called the Upper Midwest Municipal Energy Group, and they came about um, in the in the uh, early 1980s um, in order to be able to enter into a transmission agreement with Dareland, which is one of the other transmission owners in the state of Wisconsin, to sort of share. Uh, investment in the transmission system and get the benefit of that. And so that's how they're served today. They're not, um, they're part of MISO, but um, but they're not customers of ATC uh, because they have a shared transmission system with, with Daryl and Power. And that they wouldn't have been able to do without the ability to come together jointly, right, um, in the form of a, of a joint action agency or municipal electric company. Um, so yeah, today I think that, um, there are a number of of larger joint action agencies, not just here in Wisconsin, but but throughout the country, um, and um, and they perform a, a a very significant role, I think, in helping to empower their members. Smaller municipal utilities take advantage of opportunities. That was so helpful. Thank you, Richard. One last question. I heard a lot about this during um, MUW's day at the Capitol, how are municipal utilities funded? Is it through taxes? Is it through rates? I know uh, the answer, but I want you to say it. <laughs> well, uh, they're funded through rates. And this is one of the reasons, reasons that makes municipal utilities so great for their communities, right? Because they actually invest in their communities directly through through tax equivalents. We call them pilot, right? So they actually contribute money to their uh, to their local governments. There's a whole formula for you know for how you calculate all that. Um, but when we ever whenever we talk about you know um, municipal utilities being um, really invested in their communities, we, we really mean that like literally as well as as figuratively through in the form of the pilot. But basically, they're they're ratepayer funded, right? Their ratepayers are their customers, right? And as I said before, their neighbors. Um, but that's so it's kind of it's separate. Even though, and this is this is a question that comes up all the time. Like, what's the difference between a city and a city municipal utility? Like, are they the same thing, or are they different entities? Um, you know, and at the end of the day, um, what we like to say is that a municipal utility is is a department of this of the city, so it's really a part of the city. Um, and when they, if if they issue bonds, for example, they don't issue bonds separate from the city. It's the city that issues the bonds, right? Because they're the same legal entity, right? But because they're funded differently through ratepayer, uh, through ratepayers, through utility revenues that they get from the services that they provide. You know they're accounted for differently, right? They have a different they have a different bottom line. Um, they have a, uh, you know they have a different source of funding. Uh, they have different funding needs. Um, so that that's an important uh, important distinction. Does that make sense? Thank you. It does make sense. Okay, so I I get this question sometimes. If if a community wanted to become a municipal utility, is that still possible? Or is it the regulatory compact has these service territories set up and that's the way it's going to be forever? Uh, well, the answer to that question is it's probably going to be that way forever, but not because you can't do it anymore. It's just logistically not feasible anymore. So what do I mean by that? So you could uh, so any any municipal any municipality could decide if if they wanted to uh, to become a municipal utility. You could municipalize, right? Uh, and from time to time, you you read headlines about municipalities um, that have tried to do that. The, the most recent example of that um, is Boulder, Colorado, tried to municipalize. Um, and uh, you know, just a few years ago here in Madison, where where I work, uh, there were there was significant interest on the part of of uh, Madisonians um, and and various stakeholder interests um, to 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 municipalize. They were they were mad at MG&E for various reasons. Um, and um, there was some real thought given to uh, given to the possibility of municipalizing. I think today you hear it being discussed in Milwaukee, 
Um, and I think that's that's actually um, you know something that that still is generating headlines. Um, but as a practical matter, in order to do that, in addition to clearing all the procedural hurdles that you would have to clear in terms of getting the citizen buy-in and all that, it would just cost a tremendous amount of money because you'd essentially have to condemn the existing utility property. Um, and then you would fight about the how to value that for years and years and years. Um, and you know, by the time you got to the end of that road, it really would be a question whether you, you've done anything of value for your citizens or not, right? And in, in Boulder, for example, ratepayers had to shoulder the economic burden of, of you know, the litigation that ensued uh, and various other uh, aspects of, of, of that effort. Um, and so as a practical matter, it's, it's just no longer really feasible. As much as I would love, I would love for there to be like, I would love for MEUW to have 20 new members. <laughs> I know. I was like, that seems like it'd be great for you. <laughs> it would be great, oh. but it would be great. I just feel like I think that I think the public po power model works. I really do. Uh, yeah. But um, we haven't had, I mean, I don't, I don't even know the last time. I don't know what, that would be an interesting question. I bet Tim Heinrich knows the answer to it when the last municipal utility was formed here in Wisconsin. But um, the last effort to form one, I think, dates back to maybe the late 60s or 70s. So it's gotcha. Just... Gotcha. Well, thank you. That that does help clarify some things for me. So I appreciate it. Um, because we're celebrating um, on the MEUW's 95th anniversary, I wanted to close this on a celebratory note. When you think of working with municipal utilities, what's your favorite part? What what makes you love your job? Yeah, that's a great that's a great question, right? Um, I, I think about it a lot because my kids always like ask me like, why do you do what you do? Aren't you on the phone all day? That seems like so boring. Why would you want to be a lawyer, you know, working on behalf of municipal utilities? Um, but no, I, I, I literally from that first day that that Mike May brought me into the office and gave me that book to read on public power, I've always I just always enjoyed working on behalf of municipal utilities. Um, and I and if I had to single you know to, to to narrow it down to one aspect of it that I love so much, it's because they're so committed themselves to what they do. I love my clients. I think they're so uh, they're so committed to uh, to serving their communities. I mean, they really are public servants in the in the best sense of the word. And they're they've always got the interests of their customers in mind. Um, and you know, MEUW, I think, does a great job. I think Tim does a great job in bringing them together and providing them platforms to um, to interact with each other and to and to collaborate and to learn and uh, to support each other, whether it's, you know, from a lobbying standpoint, legislatively um, or otherwise. Um, but I just enjoy being part of that because I really, they're so committed to what they do. Um, and it's exciting to me. I think what's happening now with as challenging as it may be, um, I, I think what what we're starting to see in recent years um, in municipal utilities, um, in terms of innovation, coming up with new tariffs, you know, community solar or EV, you know, um, they really, um, you know, they really are trying to uh, to adapt to these new te te technologies and find ways to to meet evolving customer needs. Still, lots of challenges, but uh, but they really are committed to doing it. So I love being part of that. That's so cool. Thank you so much, Richard. And our final question for all of our guests is: If you had all the power in the industry, what would you do with it? You no, know, I knew you were going to ask me that. I I struggled with that one, um, and I, I thought about answering it in a couple of different ways. But I think what I'm going to I'm going to land on this, which is that. Um, because things are changing so much because we have all these technologies and everyone, every day you read a headline in, in the local paper about something energy related that's happening. And oftentimes it's very contentious, right? There's an article just in the utility press I read this morning before we started recording this um, about the community solar bill uh, that was that was being pushed uh, by some legislators here at the state capitol that now appears to be dead and 
uh, just kind of talking about that. And oftentimes, because we live in such a polarized environment, um, you know, we see these things in black and white terms, right? That, um, you know, the utilities are just in it for their own interest and, you know, they're trying to line their own pockets and, and um, you know, if they would just agree to community solar or if they would just agree to third party solar, everything would be better and we'd have more, you know, customers would be more empowered. Um, but things are not that simple, right? Things, things are not black and white. Um, and so when I thought about your question about what I would do, what I really would like to do <laughs> is get everybody together, right? Get stakeholders together to talk about ways that we can solve some of these problems um, in ways that make sense, right? That, that don't require us to abandon the regulatory model that we talked about earlier, because I think that that has been successful. And I think that you're seeing public utilities, investor owns, as well as municipals, like I just mentioned, really start to try to innovate and find ways to address customer needs. And so I would, if I had all the power in the industry, I'd like to get everybody together in some way, right? And just talk this through and come up with solutions that make sense, that work to benefit customers, to benefit the environmentalist community, uh, maybe not, you know, out of state developers so much, but but yeah, I think we can create jobs. I think we can empower communities and customers. I think there's ways that we can do it um, if if we're nuanced about it and not not so polarized. So I don't know if that maybe is a little pie in the sky, but no, I get it, and I think it's a noble goal, and it's something that we try to help facilitate here at the Customers First Coalition as well. Okay, so yeah, right. It's, that's why I thought that would be a good way to end because that's that's certainly what the Customers First Coalition has always been committed to. Well, perfect. Thank you so much, Richard. And this was super insightful and helpful and hope to talk to you again soon. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was really fun. Thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in. Please support our work. You can subscribe to the Electric Wire podcast if you haven't already, and you can follow us on Twitter at The Electric Wire. Thanks also to the members of the Customers First Coalition for supporting this podcast. Our members are Dairyland Power Cooperative, Madison Gas and Electric, the Municipal Electric Utilities of Wisconsin, WPPI Energy, the Citizens Utility Board, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers Local 2150, and the Wisconsin Electric Cooperatives Association. Thanks again for listening. We'll have a new episode next month.